And this is Matt. We did that in reverse order. Yeah, so this is episodes Brett and Matt Love Comics. Yeah. That's yeah. happening. I like uh, it. <laughs> we're joined today by a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Justin Acklin. Yay! Hey, guys. Hey. I'm very, very special. Yes, you are. Um, if, if He insisted that we introduce him that way. Yeah. You know I also special. insisted that Brett come first. I, that's the kind of power I wield on yeah. the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Fun. If, uh, listeners, you should know who Justin is because he uh, is a writer for Dark Horse Comics. You've had, what did you have published by them? You had, so so far, I've just had a, a short story that ran in uh, MySpace Dark Horse Presents, which was their last incarnation of Dark Horse Presents. And as of the airing of this episode, I've got a trans- Transformers. Sorry, that's <laughs> my day job talking. I've got a Star Wars. Uh, Original graphic novel uh, out that's called Star Wars: The Clone Wars: Defenders of the Lost Temple. Yes, yeah, that's huge. I'm friends with someone who's written a thing that is Star Wars canon. Yeah, that's crazy. It's exciting. You know, I'm checking the Wikipedia page constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be the one to enter in? How many characters did you create for this uh, OGN? I created four clone troopers and a Padawan, and uh, everyone else is existing canon already so are you oh yeah but okay so without getting too in the weeds because first of all i should say up front that you don't need to know any star wars crap at all to be able to enjoy the book it's it's uh all ages and that means all ages i i think adults can enjoy it um yeah all ages gets this weird sort of uh association with it and i think that's I, i think it's silly yeah yeah but even, you know, all you need to know is that, you know, the Jedis have lightsabers and during this period they pal around with clones. And that's, you literally don't need to know anything else going into it. Yeah. That said, I did, you know, dig into, you know, the, the Wikipedia and dig out a few continuity nuggets that I expanded upon. And so uh, as the previews have been rolling out over the past couple of weeks, I've been watching those entries and oh. they get edited and that's made me feel really special. People edit Wikipedia based on previews. Yes. Wow. That is, they are, they're not messing around. Oh yeah. <laughs> they do not want to wait. This is a huge, I mean, you, you come from a long comic book background. Both your father and brother are in the comic book business. My father was a comic book artist in the late 70s, uh, early 80s for Marvel. He, he's not, you know, a, a huge name. Uh, yeah. His name is Jeff Acklin, but, you know, he did some uh, Marvel team-up issues, and he ghosted for the, the Spider-Man Daily Strip for a while and that sort of thing. So Wow. Yes, co- comic books have been in my blood yeah. forever. Uh, and then my brother is not in comics so much, but he is a professional artist. He actually uh, is a character designer for animation right now. Oh, which, wow. is his, which is his dream. And I always say that, you know, I've got, you know, professional artists all over the family, and I, I literally draw like a six-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, th- this is also brings in uh, into play past guest John Gutierrez, um, because you both worked uh, at Toy Fair Magazine at Wizard together. Yes. And Goots did the storyboards for Twisted Toy Fair Theater, <laughs> and you wrote them. Yes, because when I did... <laughs> 
attempt storyboards, it's better if the person who's photographing it can tell what the hell is supposed to be happening in yeah. them. So, uh, yeah, before before John uh, Zach Oat did the storyboards and before him Tom Root did them, and I did like one or two here or there, like short strips, and they are funny to look at. <laughs> funny to look at, not Wh- funny. Now, which two by four is supposed to be screaming at which two by four <laughs> yeah. here? Lollipop person? Okay. Um, how did you come across... How did you get this job writing a Star Wars OGN is, I think, what every human being wants to know. How does that happen? Uh, <laughs> luck and serendipity and some degree of persistence as well. Uh, you know, my my entree into comic books obviously was, you know, starting with uh, Twisted Toy Fair Theater and, and having the privilege of, of working on that and writing for it. And... You know, there were a couple of years when I first started out at Toy Fair where I was like, I'm writing Twisted Toy Fair Theater. You know, Marvel should give me a Spider-Man book. And, you know, that was sort of my attitude. I'm like, I'm just going to wait for that to happen. Well, you were, you were writing a Spider-Man. Yes. That's yes. true. But not to the degree that I should have just been handed a comic by any means. So at a certain point I realized that and I'm like, you know what? I, I'm going to do what everyone says, which is do the work and go out and write my own comic. So I wrote uh, a graphic novel called Hero House that came out in uh, 2009, 2010. It had kind of a staggered release. Um, and that came out through Arcana Comics and with a, a great artist uh, named Mike Demiuga. And so that was uh, you know, my first published non-Twisted Toy Fair comic work. And... So how that led into Dark Horse was when I was writing the script, like way in the beginning, uh, I had a friend named uh, Dave Marshall who was an intern at Wizard one year, and then the next year he went to intern at Dark Horse. And I knew that he you know, was interested in comic book editing and that sort of thing, and I kind of had a you know, feeling that you know, he knew his stuff. So I asked him if he could look over the scripts, and so he kind of like unofficially edited Hero House for me. Oh. So... Um, then he went on to become an editor at Dark Horse. Uh, he's actually, you know, worked his way up and is a full editor over there. And I had an idea for, like I said, for MySpace Dark Horse Presents, you know, to do a short story. So I pitched it to him. This was years later. And he, you know, t- picked it up and that ran. It was called Shoot First. And, you know, I, I've been talking to him ever since then about trying to get uh, some creator-owned stuff going and that's been sort of an ongoing process with them because creator owned is you know it, yeah it's a difficult thing to maneuver there's a lot of creators who like to own things and make yes <laughs> a lot of competition so, so I, i've been working with dave and then as we were trying to get the creator owned thing going he said to me he's like listen you know i've got a slot c- coming up in uh the clone wars graphic novels would you like to try one and that's a stupid question yeah <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> That's a great. That's a great way to lead with it too. Hey, I've got a really great opportunity. Are you Are you interested? Maybe. Well, that's a stupid question. Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Well, of course I'm going to do it, you idiot. <laughs> I already did it, dummy. Here. That's... Yeah, I'm. So I'm incredibly lucky. Not only because I've had this opportunity, but Dave is a fantastic editor, and every time I've worked with him, it's made my writing that much better. And I literally, you know, I've got this. Uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple, and then I've got another Star Wars OGN coming out in June, and then a three-issue miniseries coming out from Dark Horse in May called Ak- Akanayiro Demon Hunters. I actually 
don't know how to pronounce <laughs> the name. I'm assuming it's something like that. I only ever see it written down. Uh, Akaneiro Demon Hunters. And so every single comic from Hero House through there that I've written that is, you know, being published at all, uh, Dave Marshall has worked on. So it's been a, a really great, fruitful yeah. writer-editor relationship. That's, and I'm extremely lucky. That's awesome. That's amazing. Well, yeah. So, so then going back a bit, uh, you had said you guys sort of started your relationship when you, when you worked at uh, Toy Fair. How did you find yourself at Toy Fair? Um, what was your origin story, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> Let's cast our, our minds way back. Um, <laughs> no, it's because, you know, I was a wizard reader since, like, issue 10, and then I was, you know, was a Toy Fair reader from the very beginning, and... When I was in college, the summer before my senior year, I was, you know, trying to find some internships to do. I was, in, I was an English major, and I applied to Marvel in D.C., and then I was looking at Wizard, and I noticed that I'm from upstate New York, and I had never looked at, like, you know, the masthead in Wizard, and suddenly I realized that they were based, like, you know, less than an hour away from me. I'm like, holy crap. Oh. <laughs> They've been there this whole time. So I applied to Marvel, D.C., and Wizard, and uh, Wizard was the only one that got back to me. But I got the job, so it worked out. Because they also noticed that you lived an hour away. Yeah. No, seriously, I, I think that was a big part of it, that I wouldn't have to find... Because, Brett, as you know, the the classic wizard story is, you know, people come from all over the country to, to Congress, New York, and then have to find some hovel to squat in. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I remember when I interviewed for the research job that I didn't get, but it was still like, yeah, we pay you this ungodly low amount of money, and you'll have to commute from Queens. So I was like, okay, okay, cool. I'm going to be spending so much money, just like You're driving, be spending or, so much money or to taking work. The bus, yeah, because uh, yeah. it is kind of in the middle of nowhere-ish. But I got to live with my mom. Yeah. <laughs> so that worked out, and so I did an internship, and you know. In the course of it, got to know a lot of people, obviously, but got very close with the Toy Fair guys, with uh, Zach Oat and Rob Bricken, especially. So uh, Rob kept kind of giving me freelance work over the course of my senior year of college, and then a uh, position happened to open up right before I graduated, and uh, Doug Goldstein hired me on, and that was that. I worked at Toy Fair for just about nine years, and wow. I, I, I always wanted to be an, ed an editor for Toy Fair, and I ended up being the last editor for Toy Fair. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. It's history. I, I closed the door on the whole thing. <laughs> well, what issue did you start with, like, working on Toy Fair? I started with issue 40. Wow, I didn't even know it was around... Yeah. How many issues were there total? Um... I should know this. Quiz you on all this stuff? No, because I, I, I literally, I used to pride myself on being, like, the Toy Fair historian. Like, because I was the head Twisted Toy Fair writer, and because one of my favorite running gags is to call back to our continuity that doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, yeah. I literally used to know, like, what issue everything happened in and that sort of thing, and that part of my brain has just shriveled up and died. Well, yeah, because it's been a while. It's been, like, two or three years, so you haven't had to use it. I want to say we lasted into the 130s or 140s. Was, yeah, I, I think it was 140s because I, I think I was there at least 100 issues. Yeah. Um, and I, if, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been several years, but I believe you were also uh, my contact when I did a couple freelance pieces for the price guide. Quite possible. Uh, I, I know that John Gutierrez, who we've mentioned already, 
you know, ran a lot of the, the price guide sidebars himself as well, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if I was looped into the process as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I, uh, I got into contact with someone at Toy Fair through uh, my friend Jeremy Bent. My friend Jeremy Bent. No, yeah. my friend Jeremy Bent. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was being quite... Yeah, both the... his best friend in different phases of his life. <laughs> <laughs> That's me territorially huffing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I was never Jeremy's best friend, but we, you know, we everyone went, wants we, to be. Um, I we went you, through stuff together. Yeah, <laughs> you did listen to um, the John Gutierrez episode, and I was wondering if you remembered anything you wanted to correct him on, <laughs> historian-wise, since you're the historian. I did, and now I can't remember what it was. Do you? Oh, I can't. I know I contacted you after it, Brett, and I was like, "That's not right." Yeah, I know. I should have re-listened to that episode um, in preparation for this. Uh, That's probably the least interesting thing we could talk about of this, though. Is what he got wrong? <laughs> yeah. Why am I being say, a John joke? got a lot of things right. I think he got like the order of, you know, first was the. I'll get it wrong now. You know. Oh, I know what it was. I think he said that uh, the Spider Conga came before the Spider Macarena in terms of the Twisted Toy Fair Theater, and it's the other way around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How dare he not? Uh, no. Right? <laughs> but you guys had, like, the such a fun little office, which it was a little office. <laughs> it was the littlest office crammed with the most toys I'd ever seen. Yeah, I mean, in the golden days of Toy Fair, you know, there, there was nothing more fun. It's, I, I'm not nostalgic about uh, certain aspects of working at Wizard, as you can imagine, but, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I'm nostalgic about, and... You know, we, we worked with some great guys, and Toy Fair, you know, to this day is my favorite magazine ever, whether or not I was involved in it. And I'm, I'm sad that it doesn't exist, whether or not I would be involved in it right now. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there should be something like that. Is there anything like that right now? Did we say this exact same thing? When I, I, think, I think we may have, and, you know, I don't think that there's going to be a magazine presence like that. No. Like, that sort of writing sensibility, it's interesting because I feel like the sort of sensibility that existed in Toy Fair and in Wizard and and books like that uh, was what... That sensibility, like, exists in blogs now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. it, like, good blogs. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like, that sort of... I like the sort of smart-alecky humor of it uh, that wasn't always mean, but had an edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Because, like, Rob Bricken translated that to Topless Robot for the time he was there. Oh, right. Now to io9, so... Right. No, I mean, there's a lot of great, you know, pop culture writing now that, you know, carries that torch. But there's something about Toy Fair that, you know, it was the the jokes kind of, like, stuffed, you know, to the point of bursting into every page and the word balloons and and Twisted Toy Fair, obviously, that, you know, I think it's, it's unique. And and that sense of sense of humor and sensibility, and you'll hear this every time you know Wizard is brought up. It traces its lineage directly back to Pat McCallum, who was yeah. you know the the font from which all this sprung. <laughs> um, when you were writing Toy Fair, like what? I mean, obviously, like Toy News, I guess came first. But where did humor rank? Because I guess you could also argue that humor came first in that magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You could certainly, I mean, I was coming at it from the perspective, you know, my my favorite thing was the humor, obviously. And I, I love 
toys and I love the nerd stuff, but you know, that was my favorite thing to write. Um, you know, I, basically the order was, you know, we would try and figure out what the features were going to be in the issue and get those written. And then we would figure out what toys we were going to show in incoming. And then, you know, at Twisted Toy Fair Theater, we worked several months ahead. And then, you know, just once the pages were laid out, we just, you know, laid into it and, you know, just started going at it with the word balloons and stuff. And, you know, it was, it was the, one of the first things we thought about. It was one of the last things we thought about, you know, but obviously there has to be some sort of inform, inform, there informative stuff in there as well for yeah. for the toy fans yeah <laughs> what was the um I mean, when you were talking about that i realized that i read toy fair i think starting when i was in sixth or seventh grade which like when you said that you started with issue 40 i was like oh no surely you started earlier than that and then i realized no i read toy fair when i was a child <laughs> like it was around for a long time. Yeah, I started. Uh, I started as an. Well, issue forty was my first issue as a staffer. Like I yeah. started the year before that as an intern, and then you know I started as a staffer in May two thousand two, which is when I graduated college. Wow. So, I don't know what grade you were in at that point. Uh, May two thousand two, I was graduating high school. Okay. So we're not that far apart. We're no. all. We are all equals here. <laughs> um, but like what what was the uh what was the hot toy line during your of like your entire tenure at toy fair what toy line did you either like get the most mileage out of or uh i don't know caused you the most headaches like covering Ooh, good question yeah i like, like that which one rock because like, i imagine for the first generation of toy fair it was the star wars relaunch like that line was huge oh yeah, I mean, when Star- when Toy Fair was starting up, like, you know, within the first year, Phantom Menace debuted, and that was yeah. that was big with Star Wars coming out. When I started, I think one of, like, maybe my second or third issue, we showed the first wave of Marvel Legends. Ooh. And that became, you know, the touchstone line of the entire time I was there, pretty much. Um, yeah. That was a big one. Also around that time, uh, Mattel was bringing back He-Man in the, the 2002 version. Oh, the Four Horsemen. Yep. Yeah. Those, oh man, those, those. I really like those figures. They were great. And the whole Toy Fair staff was addicted to them. And we would, yeah, go, to the, we would go to the Palisades Mall at lunch and eat in the food court and then head to Target and like, yep. see if we could find toys on the pegs. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I used to do that on my lunch break because uh, I think the G.I. Joe 25th anniversary figures were coming out during my time at Wizard, and I would spend my lunch breaks like driving either to like the Target at the Palisades or the Toys R Us, the next town over. Oh yeah, Nanua. Yeah, and I would go there and try and find either Marvel Universe figures, Wolverine, uh, X Men Origins figures, or GI Joe Twenty Fifth Anniversary. So, a whole bunch of adults looking for toys in their lunch break. Get out of the way, kid. Go double check to see. If... Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Um, I like it a lot. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh. Thoughts and questions. I had a thought, and then I lost it. So, you were the last editor at Toy Fair. Not to be confused with the last airbender. Yeah. That was a good one. I do that, too. Oh, Oh, whoa, whoa. What a scoop. Uh, Which which of the elements? So, you're you're an airbender. The last one, yes. The last one, though. All right. What happened to the guy before you? Uh, He got... Sat on by one of those giant water buffalo things. Oh yeah, Son yeah. Those they, things are unwieldy. A menace. They are a menace. We are <laughs> trying to clean those off the streets. 
Oh, I love Appa. Anyway. <laughs> as far as Toy Fair editing goes, uh, yeah, I started off, you know, on the low rung as, as associate editor and then, you know, worked my way up. And I was working under Zacco when he was the editor for several years. And then I left Wizard very briefly. Yeah. Uh, and then that. Zach left three months later and they asked me to come back and, and be editor. So that was 2008. Yes, because that was... You were one of the first people to go after I started. Uh, it's not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you were like, I guess I can deal with him, so I'll come back. So, how... Um, and, and not necessarily in negative terms, but, but what, was, uh, what was it like in those, those final days there? Sort of knowing that you were going to be the last editor. Like, this was something that you were... This was a position <laughs> that you were excited... To have you had said earlier, like you wanted to be an editor at Toy Fair, and you finally got it, and then you find out, you know, that the that everything's sort of shutting down. Yeah, I mean, we had a good run. It's I didn't have a long time to meditate on it because, without getting into too many gruesome details, the the knowledge that Toy Fair was coming to an end and that Wizard was becoming this new digital incarnation of it. I heard the air quotes that you used. (laughs) It it came upon us very quickly. It was a very chaotic and quick and chaotic time. So it's not something I I lived with for a long time. It was suddenly like, you know, oh, Toy Fair. Like we we had an issue of Toy Fair in the can at the printers. Oh, no kidding. Waiting for them to push the button uh, when, when the call came down. So... We immediately, you know, started trying to figure out what the next thing was. And, you know, the talk originally was this, you know, the Wizard Digital was going to be, you know, kind of like a merging of Wizard and Toy Fair. And yeah. The Toy Fair sensibility was going to, you know, be maintained and we were going to continue doing Twisted Toy Fair Theater and all that stuff. And none of that quite came true. So Was that just you and freelancers at the time? It was me. Uh, the was TJ still staff. there? Sorry? Or was TJ still there at the end, too? No, TJ had gotten let go, uh, like, a couple of years before. It was me and Carlos Mejia, who's a good dude. And uh, on the wizard side, the people who made the uh, transition over with us were Mike Cotton and uh, James Walker. And we were, like, the four people who were on editorial at the time. And within seven months, all of us were gone. Wow. But, but we... But, for the most part, of our own volition. Yeah. And on to better things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is, like, Wizard... The last chapter of the Wizard book is the happiest chapter of any book ever written. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, look at all these amazing people doing yeah. great things. <laughs> the freeze-frame Animal House ending for the Wizard story would be the best ever. Because yeah. everyone has gone on to, you know, huge success and, and happiness and, yeah. and everything. It's the saddest ending possible, followed with the happiest montage possible. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I, I went to those offices that Wizard was in at the end, and they were tiny, and I hear, like, not the happiest place. But that's that's all negative stuff. It was an interesting Ugh. time. But, yeah. I mean, the, the postscript to me is I love being at, like, San Diego and standing with someone who didn't work at Wizard and watching their face as just person after person after person who worked at Wizard comes up to me. Because, you you know, you can't turn around like in a bar in San Diego without hitting a dozen, you know, former wizard people. So it's, yeah. and everyone likes each other and everyone's still in touch. And, you know, it's, 
it's it's really a beautiful thing. Well, that was even uh, even in New York this past uh, fall when we all well, I kind of tagged along and you guys had a mini reunion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was really fun for me to be a fly on the wall, just kind of hanging out with you guys uh, because it does feel like when you, <laughs> as an outsider, when when you're hanging out with a bunch of people that that were there, it does feel like. Uh, you guys have like a bunch of like a secret language almost, <laughs> and like, like you guys like, like you Ed guys Hardy went Tiger shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed Hardy Tiger shirts. Uh, and and like you know you guys it, you guys it seems like you guys all went through something together, <laughs> and you still sort of share that experience. Yes, it's it's definitely a brothers in arms kind of situation. Not to diminish what our armed forces do. By oh, I thought you were, I thought you were going to say not to diminish the Moody Blues album of the same name. <laughs> dire Straits, my friend. Dire Straits. Ah, I am in Dire Straits for Snap. getting that wrong. Uh, what is, I mean, if you had to, if you're like on, on your deathbed, this is going to go somewhere good. Trust me. On your deathbed, what is the one wizard story you tell? As in like, this happened. This, is that what I'm doing on my deathbed? Well, in <laughs> In this, no, 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 Justin, right. Justin. In this, in this hypothetical universe, you have no family, uh, no kids, no wife, no nothing. You just have your the worst conversation I've ever. Had. No, but it's going, <laughs> but it's going, it's going somewhere really good. Like, what's your great wizard story? <laughs> wait, you just, you just retconned his family, and yeah. you were like, but wait, this has a great ending. What's your best story from that's the what, new, from the yeah, magazine that closed? What, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Close up on Brett's lips. No more Acklin. Yeah. Sight <laughs> <laughs> guys, I'm the Scarlet Witch, but just for this one specific family. <laughs> I, okay. My story would be: we were in a meeting with Pat McCallum. I have no idea what the meeting was about. And I have no idea how this conversation got started, but somehow we started riffing back and forth about uh, Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek The Next Generation. You might know him oh. as yeah. uh, Riker. Yes. Penn State alumni. Yeah. Excellent. Um, somehow we, and he's not like a heavy set man or anything, but we started talking about him as this like fat, naked, like really gross guy. And we're like, what if? What if he was eating a bowl of Hormel chili and he was just getting it all over himself and getting caught in his, his chest hair? And like, you know, we were riffing back and forth on this, which is a, a pretty typical thing that might happen in a wizard meeting with Pat. Yeah. But by the end of it, it was Pat's like, you know, let's turn that into a strip. He's like, I want you to get a custom Jonathan Frakes, naked Jonathan Frakes made on a Marvel Legends body. And... Uh, that turned into a recurring feature in Toy Fair, which was Naked Jonathan Freaks Theater, which it was always a one-page strip, and each one was grosser than the last one, and our oh. fans hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so how many times did you do that thing they hated? At, at least four. That's awesome. Well, how did people express their hate? Like, through the message boards? Or did they, like, write, hand-write letters? I think first it was letters, but by the end of it, it was definitely the message boards, and we would, you know, instant we would get instant feedback of, God, not another naked Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, speaking about um, getting customized figures made, you got well. It was you can tell the tradition of uh, Toy Fair 
when someone leaves, they get a customized figure made of themselves. Yeah, it's funny. I was the first person that did that because unlike Wizard where, A, it was a much larger staff than us, yeah. but you know, there was also a lot of people coming in and out. Like the Toy Fair staff was constant, basically, from... Uh, if you discount, uh, you know, Brickend because he kind of left and went to run the anime magazine... Like, the core group of me, uh, John Gutierrez, and Zach Ode, we were there for, like, five or six years or something. Like, a, a ridiculous amount of time in term, in wizard terms. So yeah. when I left, I was, like, the first guy who left. So that was when we started that tradition. And it spun out of, you know, when the wizard guys left, they would get, like, a really nice custom piece of artwork done by, like, a top artist. And sometimes, a lot of times they would, like, work them into it and that sort of thing. So... When I left, they got a custom uh, Justin Marvel Legends figure made for me, which, uh, you know, as a raging egotist, I really enjoy. And I still have it uh, above my desk right now. That's yeah. awesome. Well, then the well, didn't you also get a mini mate made at some point? That was earlier. Yeah, that was um, a friend of mine named Jesse Destasio who was trying to get a, a mini mate art show going called Subcultures, and you know, just to sort of put it on our radar and let, let Zach and I know that it was happening. And you know, bribe us into covering it, which we did. He, he had a, a really great uh, mini mate customizer named Matt Cauley make custom mini mates of Zach and I, and I've got that too. So I have, I actually have a little brigade of Justin Action figures because those, <laughs> those Justin Ackland figures. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, Zacho repainted uh, an Outback GI Joe figure with a black beard, and he gave that to me as a custom Justin. So I've got three. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Hubris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, I mean, for being in such a small office, like, you had to be that close. But y you also you also have sort of paid that forward as well, right? Like, with the new graphic, not with the Star Wars OGN. Oh, yeah, you named, you christened people in your OGN after people you know. I did? Yeah. Did I tell you that? Yeah, or I, either Goots has told me that or you've told me that. Like, oh, okay. You named people after people. Yes, the, um, not in, well, in uh, Defenders of the Lost Temple, there's one character who I named after my daughters because I figured if you get the chance to name a Jedi and you don't name it after your, your daughters, then you're a cad. Yeah. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the forthcoming one, which is called Star Wars The Clone Wars The Smuggler's Code, which comes out in June and is a, a an Obi-Wan-centric uh, graphic Ooh. novel that one is stuffed to the gills with uh wizard name references i'm not gonna tell people what they are or who they are but if you <laughs> if you know us and our crew you'll you'll be able to spot some of them that's really cool well there is a character in uh the defenders of lost temple called like uh lieutenant law one of the clone yes is law life after wizard yes that's Oh, you, you blew up our spot, bro. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> uh, I can take that out. No, <laughs> no, no. no it's um, yeah, yes, that, that's like the... That's what I caught. Yes, that's the sort of unofficial group name of all former wizard people, you know. <laughs> the law. So, so yes, that I, was a direct reference as well. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask, like, about Obi-Wan, because you're writing an Obi-Wan OGN. Mm -hmm. Like, holy crap, are you hearing Ewan McGregor or Alec Guinness's voice in your head as you're writing Obi-Wan Kenobi? That's huge. I'm, I'm definitely uh, Ewan because it's, you know, yeah. that, 
that era. Well, and I'm also, yeah. you know, trying to capture a little bit of the tone of the you know, the animated series because that's you know sort of the the touch point for what the series is supposed to be. But I again, like, I didn't want to get bogged down in in continuity and stuff. So that actually tells the story of Obi Wan encounters. Uh, this kind of really bad dude who uh, he had encountered <laughs> with when he was a much younger Jedi and, and he let him get away. And he sort of like flies off on his own and, and goes hunting him without, without Anakin and Ahsoka. And that kind of gave me license to, it, it's a different Obi-Wan because it's sort of that thing where, you know, when you're sort of around people from when you're younger, you kind of like regress to, Oh yeah how you were so he you know for him to run off on his own and, and want to kind of take this guy down on his own like he, he's definitely going back to a place you know before he was a jedi master and so you know i was able to write kind of a, a younger less responsible obi-wan at least at least in this instance that is an amazing uh accomplishment yeah <laughs> amazing honor <laughs> yeah so you know, you're playing in a very large universe that's that's sort of already established. Uh, what's the what's the writing process like on something like that? I, it's like I know that if I'm lucky enough to be able to continue to do you know work for hire like this, the process cannot continue to be this smooth because working with Lucasfilm has been great. Like, oh, wow, I submitted you know a, a handful of ideas to my editors. You know, they picked a couple that they liked and passed on Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm was like, okay, great. Wow. And, you know, they literally came back with, you know, maybe one or two minor notes. Um, But, you know, other than that, I mean, it it was a a very hands-off process, a very free, you know, kind of artistic process. And it was great. That's amazing. I'm not under any illusions that it's always going to be like that with, <laughs> with writing, but... Oh, sure. It's, well, it's always going to be experience. easy. You're always going to get, like, hey, I got this job. It's like, can you write, like, Spider-Man number one? It's like a new Spider-Man number one that's coming in. Can yeah, yeah. That? Writing's really easy. Like, every writer's favorite thing is a blank page, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time I start feeling like uh, writing is easy, I, I'm convinced I'm doing it wrong. I'm like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just too easy. Now I've yeah. got to mess it up. None of my characters can talk now. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I mean, there, there's a dude at Lucasfilm whose job it is just to read everything that comes in and make sure that it doesn't, you know, flatly contradict anything else. That's a, that'd be that's an amazing job. Yeah. And I mean, there's an official ledger too at Lucasfilm as well, right? Like what is officially initialed as. Like accepted canon, yes. And, yeah, there are levels, and, and uh, yes, there are there are levels as I understand it. Although I didn't get into anything that complex, you know, I just pass it through and they check to make sure it didn't contradict anything else. Right now, about the uh, the Jedi that you created named after your daughter, what are the odds? I mean, like, how would you feel about someone later like picking up that baton and using that character, like? That you created the character that can be used by anyone. That's crazy. I would be like, I would be cool with that. Yeah, that's great. I, I wouldn't mind reusing the character myself as well. Um, you know, but I I definitely wanted to to me, like the Star Wars universe is like this big when you get to 
we're playing it like this, and it still doesn't feel completely real to me, and it probably won't some, maybe not even when I'm holding the book in my hands, but it feels like this, almost like this group art project that's, you know, like everything is changing, you know, a hundred different ways at once, and like all these people are contributing to it. And so I, I you know, I didn't want to like just create all new Jedi. Like I, I used one Jedi who I found again on, on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, there's so many Jedi, you know, I don't want to just pile it on. So I found one who only existed in a brief mention who got killed by General Grievous oh. and had no other appearances and no backstory. So I'm like, I'll use her. Because that way at least she has some sort of life beyond just appearing and getting killed. That's so great. I love that. Awesome. Paint it forward again. Yeah. Paint it forward, <laughs> man. Uh, well, great. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to us this week. We're going to have you back on in a couple weeks to do a book club episode, listeners. So keep a lookout for that, listeners. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, next week on the show, though... We do have to talk about next week's show. Yes. Uh, uh, which... Next week we have a very special guest as well joining us uh, long distance from yeah. the West Coast. Uh, we will be reading Thor, God of Thunder, 1 through 5 by Jason Aaron and Esad Rebic. Yes. Uh, and we will be joined by uh, TNA Impact professional wrestler, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, which I am really excited about. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I'm a big wrestling dork, and uh, and I'm, I'm really I'm really excited to dive into this with him. He's been very cool in correspondence, and I'm hoping that uh, I don't make an ass of myself. You will. <laughs> That's the dynamic we have. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I don't know. You're gonna be fine. I'm the one who's going to just be like a shivering mess. What am I saying? Oh. Awesome. <laughs> peed a little. Uh, if you're interested in purchasing Star Wars The Clone Wars Defenders of the Lost Temple or uh, pre-ordering the hardcover of Thor God of Thunder The God Butcher, please visit mattandbrettlovecomics.com and buy them through the Amazon links in this episode's show notes. Because any purchase you make on Amazon through our online store kicks a little bit of money back to us. Yes, and, of course, uh, you can also purchase next week's reading, Thor God of Thunder 1 through 5, via Comixology links on our site, yes. because we take the work out of it for you. Yeah, we're just making it easy for you. Besides, we're not giving them to you, though. No. Uh, while you're at mattandbrettlovecomics.com, check out our back issues, which is what we call our past episodes, uh, like College Humor's Jeff Rubin talking about X-Force number 19 through 25. Basically discussing Brett's heart and soul. Yeah. Uh, and comedian uh, Michael Hartney <laughs> talking about Deadpool number 11, the amazing uh, Forrest Gump-style issue where Deadpool travels back in time and messes with Spider-Man's life. Michael Hartney's been in the comics news lately. Yeah, he... if you followed that Orson Scott card, whatever. Yeah. He was the one leading the charge on a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, God bless Michael Hartney. And, uh, you know, guys, we love hearing from you. We really, really do. We have a lot of fun interacting with you guys on the Facebook board and everything. So uh, please tell us what you think about this episode and this guest or any past episode <laughs> on our website or our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash they love comics. 
I guess someone else was already Matt and Brett Love comics. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's probably too long. It's probably too long. It's way too long. Uh, you can find links to all of our social media presence under the Who Loves Comics tab on our website. And please, if you fancy what you've heard here today, head over to iTunes, rate and review us. It really does help the metric of our show. It bumps us up a little bit, and it gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. I love that I got you to say, if you fancy what you've heard, by writing it in the show notes. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, most importantly, if you, you guys are our best spokesman. And women. Spokespeople. Why did I write spokesman? Spokespeople. Jeez. Brett was just watching a a documentary about feminism in video games. So now he's super conscious about... It's weird. You know, we live in a patriarchy, so you don't realize it's spokesman all the time, when it should be spokesperson. Anyway, so tell all of your friends about this show, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them that we're feminists. And as always, thank to our producer and head feminist, Ben Rahib. Happy birthday, Ben. Yeah, happy birthday, Ben. Uh, and as always, thanks to Justin Acklin, as always in every episode. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. Hey, no problem. Yeah. Of course, and... uh, run out and buy that, uh, run out and buy that book, you guys. Star Wars The Clone Wars, Defenders of the Lost Temple. Yeah. You oh, and also, who... It, can I, can I plug a little bit? Yes. Absolutely. You can also pre-order, uh, Akaniro Demon Hunters, uh, number one, which comes out in May from Dark Horse Comics at your local comic shop. And you can pre-order Star Wars The Clone Wars, The Smuggler's Code, which comes out in June, uh, through Amazon or through your comic shop. Yeah! I love it! And you can find me on Twitter at Justin Acklin. Great. And that's A-C-L-I-N. Correct. Yeah. Cool. So, we'll see Justin back here in a couple of weeks. And until then... This is Matt. And this is Brad. And we love comics. comics.